So essentially, it's many of the objects in our spaces are also about influencing our mood. And we do that in all kinds of contexts. Think about music. I mean, why do we play, you know, one kind of music when we're going to exercise at the gym and a different type of music when we're going to take a relaxing bath, right? We do it because it affects our feelings. And I think, you know, a lot of the items in somebody's space are put there precisely for that reason, too, because they make us feel a certain way. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Program Alive podcast, where we want our listeners, guests, and myself to learn something new. Every week, I bring in a guest who has a passion for topics related to productivity or mental health. And our guest on this episode today is Samuel Goslin, who is a personality and social psychologist with interest in social perception, cross species, and trends in the history of psychology. In this episode, me and Sam discuss about what snooping means, the different research that he has done, and the difference of our personalities in the virtual and personal spaces. So real quick, before this episode starts, if you are new here, I upload every week on Thursday morning EST, as well as put out extra content on my blog and email newsletter on my website. And if you want my key takeaways on this episode and the show notes, just head over to my website as well, which is programlife.org. Also, it would be great if you could head over and click that subscribe or follow button right now on whichever platform you're using to listen to this. It only just takes a few seconds and you'll be notified of all the great content that I will provide you guys. And also, please leave me a rating and review telling me what you liked about this episode the most. It helps me a lot and it only just takes a few seconds. You can follow me on Instagram, yogishprabhu2, and Twitter at yogishprabhu03, and that is Y-O-G-E-S-H-P-R-A-B-H-U. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So Sam, I'm really excited to have you on the show as you know, you're an associate professor of psychology at the University of Texas in Austin, and you're also the author of a book called Snoop, uh, What Your Stuff Says About You. And I find this really interesting because you study personality by just looking at things like things in offices, bedrooms, bathrooms, or cars. And you try to see what's there and how it's arranged and what it can provide us uh, as in clues that it can provide us about who we are and what's important to us. So before I get into these questions that I have for you today, I would like to first ask you, I I would like to first uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show thanks for having me it's a pleasure all right so your book is called snoop because that's what you propose to teach us uh to do and could you explain us what you mean by snooping and how does this relate to who we are yeah really i mean snooping is essentially half of the process that i'm uh, interested in so i'm really interested in the connections between people and the spaces in which they live and work and play and so on, you know, how we affect those spaces, how those spaces affect us. And, you know, snooping is essentially one side of it. What I mean by that is looking around for the clues to individuals' personalities that they've left in their wake. Some of those clues are deliberate. Some of those are inadvertent and thinking, how much can we learn about somebody? It's essentially, you know, what Sherlock Holmes might do. You know, he's snooping around or any other, you know, detective uh, snooping around for 
clues to mm-hmm. criminal behaviors. And I'm just saying, let's take that same principle and snoop around for clues to everyday behaviors or, you know, also, also uh, the kinds of things that uh, comprise personality. Mm, yeah. And just delving deeper onto the idea of identity claims, we know that like everyone is different and that everyone is busy as well. So we tend to not notice some of the smallest habits that we have, such as like always having our pencils sharpened or having our books in an alphabetical order on the shelf. So how do these small habits that we don't notice build up to show us who we are and how does this fit into your theory? Yeah, well, I think there are essentially three different ways in which we express our personalities in our environments. Um, The first is is the one you just mentioned, what we call identity claims. And identity claims are these sorts of deliberate statements we make to others about who we are, about our goals, our attitudes, our values, perhaps our cultural affiliations. Um, And these are, you know, and we see evidence for those in all kinds of domains. So, you know, that, you know, somebody wears a, their favorite band on their t-shirt or their or their football team on you know Mm. the shirt or they have a bumper sticker on their car or they have a you know some famous quote from somebody at the bottom of their email you know these are all things people have deliberately put there and and you have to think well why have they put them there well they put them there to associate themselves with that thing whatever it is and the various um, ideas and attitudes and values that go along with that when i say i I like uh, have a Garth Brooks T-shirt. That's different from saying I have a Sex Pistols T-shirt or, or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. because a whole set of values go along with them. So, so, that, so you know, these are deliberate claims essentially that we make. And I, and I think one important point to make about these de- deliberate claims is that people will often think because they're deliberate, they're manipulative. You know, so, you know, if I'm doing something deliberate, I'm trying to create a false impression. I'm trying to make myself seem better than I am, probably portray myself in a positive light. But, you know, in reality, there's I don't think that's what people are doing. And and there's a good deal of evidence to suggest that kind of for the most part, they're not. I mean, sure, maybe on a job interview or on a first date or something like that, where there's a high um, incentive to look really good. Uh, people might do that. But in general, people are trying to be known. Um, there's this work by psychologist uh, also at the University of Texas called Bill Swan uh, what, using what he calls self-verification theory. And his work has shown that people really want to be seen by others as they see themselves. Um, so, you know, because it makes the world more predictable, you know, and, and the surprising finding you see with that, which is what makes it most compelling is, for example, people with very low self-esteem, they, you know, you can make two predictions. One prediction is, well, they have low self-esteem, but they want to be seen more positively, i.e. with high self-esteem, or they want to be seen as they believe they are they negatively. And Bill's research shows that those people would prefer to interact with people who kind of reinforce their own self-view, i.e. seeing themselves in a kind of negative light. So this is the, so, I, so you know, that's a very strong evidence for this idea that people really want to be seen for who they are because you know the world you know you feel once you feel understood then the world becomes much more kind of a predictable and manageable place mm. so and i yeah. think so so you can take that now to the 
environmental context. If you look around your space and you have, you know, various, hopefully very, some of your listeners are sitting in their own space now, I, in, I encourage you to look around and see, like, what are the things you put there deliberately? Uh, you know, they, you know, essentially are there to convey your values and, and not just for yourself. This is, you know, a, you know, specifically an act of communication to others for the, you know, supposed or real visitors coming to your space. And then the second process is what we call thought and feeling regulators. So these are quite similar to identity claims in the sense they're things we deliberately do to our spaces, you know, so we, but they, but the goal is quite different. The goal here is not to communicate to others our uh, things. It's really for our own benefit. It's to make ourselves feel a certain way or think about certain things, you know, and, you know, I mean, you know, virtually everybody listening to this, you know, will have a smartphone or a computer and they'll probably have a picture on the background of that. Now, that is almost certainly what we call a thought and feeling regulator. That is, it's, you know, it's probably a picture, a photograph of somewhere or something that reminds you of an important time, an important person, an important place, you know, so something like that. And so essentially, it's many of the objects in our spaces are also about influencing our mood. And and we do that in all kinds of contexts. Think about music. I mean, why do we play, you know, one kind of music when we're going to exercise at the gym and a different type of music when we're going to take a relaxing bath right we do it because it affects our feelings and i think you know a lot of the items in somebody's space are put there precisely for that reason too because they make us feel a certain way Mm. yeah just going back to like what you said before um Mm -hmm. when you when you said like about portraying ourselves in better light just relating to that it's quite, it's also quite complicated in psychology when it comes to like social networking and things that we post and the sentences in our Instagram bio. And usually most people, uh, post the best side of our, of themselves and try to show other individuals on what they have done or maybe show their best personality. And I also, so I wanted to ask you, are our physical and virtual spaces similar or like does one show something different? Like what are they similar or not? I think, I think it's a great question. So in fact, uh, you know, we did a study related to this. Now we're looking at Facebook and our question there was exactly the question you're asking, which is are on Facebook, are people conveying themselves in a positive light or an accurate light, you know, and you, you, again, you can make two predictions. And when I'm, you know, talking about this research before giving the results, I, I normally ask the audience to make a prediction. And typically the audiences are split 50, 50 down the middle. So before I tell you the finding, I urge your <laughs> listeners also to try to, to try to think what they, you know, think the finding will be. Do, does your Facebook profile convey who you really are or does it convey your kind of ideal self? Um, and so what we did in this study, and, 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 you know, this, I should say, you know, this was Facebook from quite a few years ago and, you know, perhaps Mm. these findings no longer hold with the new manifestations of Facebook or different forms of social media or so on. But I think, I think, you know, I think the findings are still relevant. So what we did here was we had teams of people who had no idea who the targets were. They looked at people's Facebook profiles, and they just tried to form a uh, personality impression of that person just on the basis of the profile, nothing else. They didn't know anything else. You know, they could look through the photos, they could look at the groups, they could look at the, you know, the, the, uh, the Facebook feed and so on. 
And then we compared those impressions with two things. On one hand, we compared it with what we thought the owner of that profile was really like. And we did that by looking at the owner's uh, self-reported personality questionnaire. But of course, we all know we sometimes can be deluded about ourselves. You can't just rely on self-report. So we also got um, uh, several of their friends, their good friends who know them very well to tell us what they're like. And we combine that with the self-report. And then the other piece of information we got was we asked the Facebook owner, tell us about your ideal personality. Who would you really like to be like? Because then we could see whether these impressions of these Facebook owners, you know, people who've just seen your Facebook profile, does that impression correspond more strongly with how you really are, i.e. the self reports by the owner and what their friends say about them? Or do those strangers' impressions convey more with uh, uh, correlate more strongly with your ideal self? Uh, and what we found was it, it, very strong evidence for the first of those. That is, people who've just seen your person, your, your Facebook profile, the impression they have of your personality is much closer to how you really see yourself and how your friends see you than it is to your ideal self. And I think what's interesting actually about that finding is it's one of those things that, you know, of course, you know, like, like many findings, once you know it, you can make good sense of it because you've got to think mm. like, well, what would it really take? Let's say, you know, you wanted to create an impression of yourself as being this sort of sensation seeker into kind of avant-garde arts, you know, how, you know, how would you go about that? You know, and it's all very well, to, you know, but, you know, okay, you want to have some photos of you, you know, swimming with the sharks and skydiving and so on. All right. You know, well, how are you going to get those photos, you know, without actually doing something like that, you know? And, and, mm. and if you're not really a sensation seeker and you're not really into kind of, you know, uh, avant-garde Icelandic classical music, how are you really going to convey those things in a compelling way, especially to somebody else who might be into those things? Also, you know, it, there's an overlap with your friends, right? Your friend, you know, if I had a picture of me swimming with sharks, there'd be immediately all my friends would say, hey, nice Photoshop job, Sam, because they'd know I would never do that. And, you know, mm. so, and it would have, it would take a kind of concerted and extensive effort to really do that in a consistent and compelling way over time. So I, th I think, you know, it's one of those things that you can kind of think would be easy on first blush, but when you actually think about the mechanics of making it happen, you realize it's a much bigger challenge than that. Yeah. And also going back to when you talked about environment as well, um, I I also wrote like in one of my blog posts, I wrote that there are three boundaries that we should set to work better at home and stay productive. And one thing I mentioned is that in the second boundary, it was space and environment. And that environment is also another important thing for productivity, like creating a space specifically and only for work can really re-architect your mental state. Do you perhaps know why our environment affects our mental state as well as does changing the environment around us change who we are slightly as well? Well, it's certainly changing our personality in some way changes who we are because that's, you know, that that's 
in a momentary sense because that's mm-hmm. why we change it, right? We organize the office, you know, in a certain way that in a way that is likely to stimulate us to be creative or a, or a way that's like is is likely to have the, you know, the mechanical instruments there, the drawers, the filing, uh, uh, the, you know, the paper holders and the pencil holders and the, mm-hmm. the computer wire, you know, uh, coil and all those things in order to make us be organized i mean and or we you know we create a quiet place in order to kind of foster concentration and productivity so i think you know the idea here is that yeah we that is what we're doing to spaces not only in terms of of the things that we put in those spaces but even you know our location in them and i think this gets back to the point that you made at the very beginning of the interview which was the idea that these things are so often unconscious they're so unconscious they just they just come come to us so naturally that we don't even notice we're doing them but you know that mm-hmm. but the thing is they are so important like you know i mean it's one of those things you only notice if somebody does does something that's kind of out of place so you know if mm-hmm. you know if if you went to the beach and somebody kind of like set up their chairs all facing away from the sea it's only then that you notice oh yeah why is it that we all face towards the sea? What is that saying? You know, that's that's. it could easily have been the other way. It could be we face away from the sea. It could be we go into a room and look at the blank wall rather than look out the window. But that's not what we do. We look out of the window. So, you know, I think, you know, it really takes, you know, you've got, it's one of these kind of lenses you've got to turn on to, to notice that we are doing, you know, we are using space in this way. Um so you know, so I think that, that that goes back to this 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 idea, uh, that, you know, in terms of creating the environment where we can work and so on. You 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 kind of have to become conscious of the things that are automatic. You know, you you you, you might go into somebody's space and suddenly, oh, I could never work here. There's far too much going on. Or you might somebody else might come into a space and say, I could never work here. There's not nearly enough going on here. Not nearly enough. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, objects to stimulate my imagination or or something like that and you know and so you know essentially what we're trying to do is you know regulate these are like the thought and feeling regulators i was mentioning we're trying to regulate our thinking patterns regulate our thoughts in a way that permits whatever task it is we're trying to do whether that's you know working on our you know coding or 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 creating a work of art Mm -hmm. yeah and I also want to delve into one of my curious questions that I wanted to ask. And it's it's basically, does the idea of consumerism play into our personalities as well? Because in this era where technology is growing at a blinding rate and it is more easier than ever to shop for items, especially from our living room at home. So do you think the fact that we are buying more unnecessary products um, in this era play into our personality? I, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it, it certainly does. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it is known, right? For example, that some people are more likely to be, you know, adopters of certain technologies than others, and engage in certain activities than others, right? Some people. I mean, you know, just take the most obvious ones, you know, of, of you know, extroverts who like to, you know, be uh, who are kind of more uh, looking for opportunities and particular social opportunities versus uh, um, introverts who like to. Uh, 
take things more quietly and, and you know, uh, are looking for kind of uh, moments of, of quietness and peace and, and th thoughtfulness and like to take more time in thinking things through and th those sorts of things. You know, a lot of the sort of the things that we buy are about creating environments that facilitate those sorts of things. Um, but, but yeah, but, I, but another thing which, you know, is related, you know, essentially – a, not all, but a lot of what marketing is about, right, is precisely allowing you to use these things you buy to signal mm -hmm. these identity claims, right? I mean, it, it, they've gone to great lengths to 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 uh, indicate that you know that owning a you know a you know Audi says something different from you than owning you know a similarly performing car by another brand, you know. Mm -hmm. So because so that's essentially that's what they want they want to say okay if you have this card this this is the impression you will convey to others and we and you know they think it's a, a you know a value in doing that and you know and many of the things we do the you know the products we buy the clothes we wear are about using these objects in the service of promoting a certain identity and, and, and as i said before this needn't be a false identity it could be a, mm. it could be a you know a very accurate one you know it extends even to things like you know the you know the pets you have or the you know the breed of, the breeds of dogs you have you know each one of those it, you know can convey something to others yeah and i guess i also want to come on to some of the mistakes that we make and that is I also wanted to ask you, and what are like the common mistakes and the common misjudgments people make when they try to size somebody up, like make, uh, based on like, uh, these, uh, footprints that we leave or that we try to snoop around? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a few that they make it, it, and there's kind of two ways of thinking about this. Um, and in fact, what I should probably do is tell you about this kind of this, the third way that people leave. Uh, traces of their personality in the space because it's very relevant to this point. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mentioned identity claims, I mentioned thought and feeling regulators. There's also essentially a category that, that we call behavioral residue. And this is comes from the idea that we engage in many actions in our life and in our spaces and a subset of those actions, not all of them, but a subset of those actions leave a material trace in their wake. So, you know, if you have a tidy desk and a tidy bedroom and a you know that is because you mm -hmm. engaged in tidying behavior, right? That's reflects those behaviors. You know, and if you have tickets from the ballet or the basketball game or whatever it is lying around, you know, that reflects the be some behaviors. So, you know, this is this is the, you know, closer to the sorts of clues that the, you know, the detectives are looking for. Essentially residue of your behaviors so they can look to look to those. And so to get to your question about, you know, what are the sorts of mistakes people made, one of the things we found in, in our study uh, was that, was that you know, people, um, when they're making judgments about a personality trait known as conscientiousness, so this is one of the big five personality traits. So, you know, conscientiousness, you can think of essentially people who are kind of responsible and organized and planful and show up on time and don't run out of supplies and, you know, buy, you know, buy, buy, you know, buy supplies before they run out, those, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So when people are making judgments about that trait based on people's space, 
they are using things, the kind of obvious things that you'd expect people to use. So they are using things like, is the place t clean? Is it organized? Is it tidy? You know, those, you know, are the books alphabetized? Are the pencils in the pencil place? Those, you know, those kinds of things. They use those clues and they infer from those clues that the occupant of that space is higher on the straight conscientiousness. And indeed, those are valid cues of conscientiousness. People with those kinds of spaces really are more conscientious. But they also make a mistake. They also use those exact same cues to infer that the occupant is higher on uh, the personality trait known as agreeableness. That is kind of how kind of warm and kind and trusting and trustworthy the person is. Essentially, you know how 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 interpersonally warm that person is. So mm -hmm. so so they're essentially you know that's one of the mistakes people make uh, in, in the in in the. It's, you know, the specific substantive mistakes people make. But you can think of also, like, in terms of procedures, what, what are the sorts of mistakes people make? And I think one of the biggest ones they make when they're snooping around a space is they are very inclined to kind of pick up on sort of single objects, especially distinctive objects. Mm. So, you know, they'll come into a space and they will see, that you know, a, you know, a, a blue plastic crocodile sitting you know, in the middle of the table, which seems like an odd thing. We think, oh, you know, what does that mean? I need to interpret that. You know, what, what does this say about the person? And the thing is, you know, the big, you know, what, what, what really seems to work in terms of personality, if you think about what personality is, it, is it's our consistent behaviors over time. So what we want to do is we want to look for trends. So don't go and interpret that single object, uh, that single, you know, the, the blue crocodile, unless there's other clues that kind of match with it. So are there also other clues that show that this person is a playful person? Maybe it's about that. Or maybe there are other clues that can help you disambiguate the meaning of the blue crocodile. Maybe there's all kinds of books uh, on crocodiles and alligators and things like that. Oh, okay, this reflects an interest in the topic. Or maybe, you know, there's, okay, we see there's evidence for a kids party coming up so it's you know something to do with that so the, essentially mm. what i'm saying in terms of mistakes is look for these broader trends because that's what personality is it's consistent behavior across time and situations and so you know these 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 single uh, distinctive clues can be very tempting to use those because they grab your attention but mm. they often can be misleading uh, and in fact in fact you know the, the they're, they're they are they're the dangerous thing is they really grab your attention when they stand out, right? Because that's, you know, we notice things that are out of place. And the very fact that it's out of place means it's probably inconsistent with the other stuff in the space and should be downgraded in your impression of what that person is not put at the center of your inferences. Mm, yeah. And just relating to the, the idea of mistakes and trends, um, it also kind of relates to how we humans are naturally, because you mentioned on an interview before that if you had one wish in the world, it would be that one clue that you told, uh, that told you something about a person. And you mentioned that this obviously like doesn't apply to real life. But in contrast to that point, I wanted to ask you something that I realized recently. And that is that humans tend to assume a lot of things of a lot of people. And they tend to create these trends using these assumptions in their heads. Do you know why this is and how do we think and how we should think more holistically?
Well, I th- I meant, you know, for for many hundreds of thousands of years, other humans have been the biggest sources of threats and the biggest sources of opportunity. So, I, so you know, so we have an incredibly high incentive for figuring out what other people are like, because you know, it, I meant, you know, in our in our history, it could, you know, literally be. A matter of life and death. If this person is not trustworthy, or this person is particularly trustworthy, those sorts of things make you know have made a huge difference to us. So that's why I think we are so quick to look for information in people's spaces, and people do have this kind of implicit knowledge that spaces are helpful. We you know we we did a study asking you know where would you you know where would you look for information about somebody um you know wh- you know which of these various sources of information are the most informative and people thought when, when asked that people's living spaces were one of the most uh, informative spaces so essentially people have this sense even if it's not sort of uh, explicit so but i think you know to get you know more directly to your question you know that's why we jump you know we essentially you know, jump to a kind of working hypothesis about what somebody is like, uh, because you know we we need to we need to we need that information to serve as a guide to our actions. The the problem is we will often cling on to it. You know, not like a working mm. hypothesis, but like fact. And you know, what yeah. we should really be doing is ready to revise it. And you know, which would be much more adaptive. I don't, yeah, I don't know why we don't do that. Yeah, and just again relating to that is the idea of stereotypes, and mm-hmm. stereotypes have a wide range of influences on human behavior. They can lead to biases, distortion, and generalizations, and they can unconsciously affect our judgment uh, and memory. And so it brings me to the question of: Do stereotypes help us, or are they just completely? negative well the the answer is both of those things i meant you know stereotypes that have a kernel of truth to them help us you know Mm. stereotypes that don't hurt us so for for example you know i you know one in in one of our studies um you know as one of our most accurate judges uh you know so what in what in the studies you know we had judges go into people's spaces you know they didn't know the person they just went into the space looked around and tried to form an personality impression of them and one of our most accurate judges you know he was just sort of really good at doing this and i once said to him so you know what are you you know how do you do it you know what are you what is it you're looking for and he, uh, you know, he came out kind of exasperated once from one of the spaces. Said, oh man, it's all just stereotypes, you know. And so, um, you know, they, they, you know, so they, uh, you know, and so and I thought, well, that's interesting. Let, let's take a look at that. So, for example, we did one study looking. Uh, we, we were looking at so the stereotypes about you know regarding personality, regarding um, gender, for example, right? It's 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 mm. it's widely thought that. Women are uh, nicer. That's just one of the stereotypes that, than uh, men, and they are more anxious or worry about more stuff than men do. So you know, and and that that could use you know you could use that as a basis for making a judgment about somebody's personality. If you go into somebody's room and you see that it's say a woman's room. Or a woman's space, right? That could be informative in making your personality impression. If, if indeed you believe, 
women are more anxious and women are nicer. That you should bump up your anxiousness score and you should bump up your niceness score a little bit. So, you know, we looked at whether that was going on in our data. And what we found was, in fact, that in our people were judging those rooms they thought belonged to women as more agreeable. And they were judging those rooms they thought belonged to women as more uh, anxious. And, but mm. what, was that true? When we looked at the data, were the women in this sample more agreeable and more anxious? Well, they were more anxious, but they weren't more agreeable. So here's a case where the, the stereotype of personalities is helping you in your judgments of neuroticism. It's, it, was, it was the correct, you know, now we know the scores, you know, we can say from the outside, it was the correct thing to do was to um, use the stereotype with regards to anxiousness, but it was the incorrect thing. It didn't help you. It led you astray when making judgments about agreeableness. So, you know, it, it's, you know, the issue is, you know, we, it's essentially, you know, I think of a stereotype as a, you know, essentially a generalization. You know, if I tell you, you know, I, you know, if I, you know, if I tell you, um, uh, um, you know, I have a, a, uh, uh, you know, uh, t- uh, you know, two p- two people in the room next to me. One's a male and one's a female. And I'll give you, you know, a million dollars if you can tell me which is taller. You would be nuts not to say the man is taller. But there are many women who are taller than many men. You know, yeah. which, but you would be nuts to not do it unless you thought I was deliberately trying to, you know, set it up so you got it wrong. But you know, mm-hmm. if, if 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 you were just making a judgment, you know, and we met, you know, and I think you know we make these generalizations all the time uh so you know and and we just don't notice them and why don't we notice them because usually they're kind of right you know so, you know some of them are yeah. right you know and so but the, so that but the thing we have to do just like, like i was mentioning before um is we have to be ready to let them go and we have to also you know it, there may be these different you know we there's a difference between saying look there are differences between um uh say uh, uh, men and women in, say, anxiety. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, you know, and that has been borne out by, you know, many years of research. There are many studies that show this gender difference in anxiety. But that doesn't mean it's that way for a good or legitimate reason, right? It might be for, uh, for, for because women have had a, you know, a tougher time or have been oppressed or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going into the specific reasons now, but I'm just using those as examples. That might explain, you know, why there are these differences by saying, you know, acknowledging these differences and using the stereotypes that draw from these differences. That's not saying the differences you're talking about are legitimate or therefore a good reason. Mm. Yeah. Now we're almost hitting the, t- uh, the time for this episode. So I would like to just wrap this episode up and I would like to ask you one last question. Like I always do at the end of each episode, I relate it back to uh, a favorite quote of mine. And I want to show, uh, I want to know your opinion on this quote, which links to the topic that we talked about today, which is finding who we are. So I came across recently a couple of short quotes by Dan Pena. And these quotes were, you are the average of the five people or 10 people that you're surrounded by. And he also said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So what is your opinion on these quotes and how does it apply to your life and the work that you do? 
Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think in some some ways those uh, th those seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, it, you know, it, even if, you know, some some of the ways you were like those people is due to those people's genetics, right? Because we know that, mm. that there's a strong component, uh, uh, a genetic component to personality. So if some of those five people are your two biological parents, I agree with that statement uh, even more mm. strongly. Um, uh but but you know but i also think you know if you know there is there is room for personality uh change you know and there's a lot of research showing that personality does change over time so you know and you know sometimes in normative ways so you know virtually everybody is more responsible when they're in their 30s than they are when they're a teenager not everyone but virtually everyone you know even the responsible and irresponsible teenagers even if they you know they grow up to be the you know the more responsible one always is more responsible than the irresponsible one mm -hmm. they still all become more responsible so uh you know as long as you kind of take those tre you know known general trends into into comparison i think i think the second part makes sense as well yeah all right so sam thanks again for coming on to the show uh, not at all. Thanks so much for having me.